I want to talk tonight about staying in love versus falling in love. To stay in love, all you need is a pulse and some hormones. There's plenty of those in this room tonight. But let me tell you, it was so easy falling in love with Chantelle. She's the most beautiful girl in the world. Every year she just ages gracefully. She's amazing. You just settle down thinking about that. But the, the whole deal is, you know, falling in love with Jesus and staying in love are very different. I remember the night I was at a youth camp. I was 13, 14 years old. I put my hand up and I fell in love with Jesus. And that was a great night. Many of you remember the moment where you connected, whether it was a camp, in a service, a friend, a university, wherever it was, you fell in love with Jesus. But who knows that that was the beginning of the adventure, not the end. And it is an adventure serving Jesus, but let me tell you, there's been some bumps along the road. I'm 30 years into this journey, and it's tough sometimes, staying in love. And there's the challenges of life. Wouldn't it be amazing if we made a decision tonight to put in our smartphones to meet back here on February the 9th, 2040? 20 years' time. 20 years' time, we make a decision. Wherever we are in the world, we're going to come back to Allen, Texas and have a reunion of Encounter Winter, whatever it was called. (laughs) The challenge is many of us could have fallen by the wayside. Many of us could have made choices. Many of us could have done things that maybe we're proud of or maybe not so proud of. Because we know that Jeremiah said, he said, I know the thoughts and the plans I have towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But here's the deal. The enemy has a plan for our lives too. We don't often think about that. But just as much as God has a plan, he has a plan for our lives. So I want to talk just for a few minutes tonight about staying in love with Jesus. I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end, if you've never heard this message before, the message, the gospel, the good news, to fall in love with Jesus. But I know for many of you, you've been on this journey for a few months, for a few years, maybe for decades. And tonight, I want to give you an injection of Jesus to keep you going and staying in love with Him. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The goal isn't just to fall in love. It's to stay in love. It's to keep the faith. And to stay in love with Jesus, I believe that we need to ignite four passions every day. There's four passions that need to stay alight for us to stay in love. It's the same thing in relationship with your spouse. It's not just enough to get married and to make a covenant. You've got to stay in love. You've got to ignite the passion in your marriage every day. You know, the opposite of, of passionate is ashamed. Paul said this, he said, I'm not ashamed. Romans 1, 6, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to Christ Jesus. You know, nothing annoys me more than Christians without passion. You know, tonight was just, stood up here tonight and the worship was just, wasn't just worship, it was Passionate worship. I turned to Pastor Dustin and I said, these, these guys aren't even opening their eyes because it's not about them. It's, they're so in love with Jesus. The passion was contagious coming off this stage. And I believe there's four areas that God wants to ignite your passion. 
going to give you them really quickly. It's a passion for purpose, a passion for people, a passion for purity, and a passion for the presence of God. We're just going to unpack these four things because I believe if, if, we, if we ignite these passions daily, in 20 years we can come back here and we won't just have a story of once we fell in love with Jesus, we'll have a story of we're still in love with him. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The first passion is this. It's a passion for purpose. Solomon said these words in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, God has placed eternity or purpose within our hearts. I love my job. I love what I do. Just like Pastor Dustin, we have a lot in common, a lot more in common than some of you realize. Both pretty crazy. <laughs> and I love meeting people and helping people and traveling. But the hardest part of my job is this. It's when I meet people who are not fulfilling their purpose. When you can see the plans and the purposes of God in their life, yet they're living a different life. We only get one go at this life. I want to put a, a gravestone on the screen, something really positive. <laughs> this is John Doe. He was born on April the 2nd, 1926. He had a good life. He lived till June the 10th, 2011. You know, on every gravestone are the same things. First of all is your name. The second thing on your gravestone is your birth date. The third thing on your gravestone is the day you're going to leave this earth. Thankfully, we don't know that day and we don't want to know that day. But there's also something very secret and hidden on every gravestone. It is a dash. It is the tiny little dash between your birth date and your send-off date. Every single one of us in this room is living in the dash. The question is this, how are we spending our dash? What are we doing with our dash? Does our dash have purpose? Because God placed everyone on this earth, from student to young adult to senior, God has placed you on earth for a purpose. God wants to reveal His plans and His purposes for you. There are church planters in this house. There are evangelists in this room. There are doctors. There are professionals. There are sportsmen and women in this room. And God has given you purpose for His purpose. Your life doesn't have to be average. It doesn't have to be average. I want you to think about this. Once upon a time, some of you adults in the room, please excuse this illustration. I'm doing this for the younger folk. But you can listen. Once upon a time, your mom and dad were on a couch. Horrible thought, but they began to get a little friendly and connected. And all of a sudden, a race began where millions of millions of little wiggly worms were chasing this Easter egg. In fact, it wasn't just any race. It was you up against millions and millions of your brothers and sisters. And they were going all down the water tubes and up and down and around the corner, up and around... I can't believe he's saying, he's saying this in church. I can't believe it. But I meet young people and young adults all over the world and they tell me that they've never won anything. There's no purpose for their life. Let me tell you, you were born a winner. You were born a winner. You were born with purpose. You were born with destiny. There is no accidents in God's book. Every single person in this room, you are here for purpose. 
And living for Jesus is exciting. It's an adventure. You've got to remember, you were born a winner. You, were bo- you see, once you understand who you are, it changes everything. So what is that purpose? That purpose is our second passion. The purpose we were born is people. A passion for people. When I was 18, 19 years old, I made a decision to devote my life to reaching lost people. If I never heard another sermon or podcast or read another Christian book, it would be okay because my salvation was secure. But for those around me at uni and college and work, that was not the case. And so my purpose on earth, and I believe that your purpose on earth, is to reach people for Jesus. Now, we've kind of moved away into a very safe gospel of we speak a lot about heaven. But let me tell you, Jesus spoke more about a lost eternity, which is hell, than he ever did about heaven. And because we got so caught up in church and community and all these positive things, we forgot that everybody spends eternity somewhere. We have this theology that's creeping into the church that all the really bad people go here to hell. And all the really good people like Mother Teresa go to heaven. And then people like me go to the halfway house. That's not true. There's no happy halfway house. I don't know what hell is. All I know is it's where God isn't. And I do not want to spend anywhere for eternity where God isn't. So my passion, my purpose is people. It's interesting. Who's got a set of keys? Who's got a set of keys? Who's got a set of keys on them? Just throw me a set of keys. What have I... VW, you're a kind man. And a house. You are a generous church, Pastor Dustin. Couple of houses. Matthew 16, 19, read this with me. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'd always read that as key. When I became a follower of Jesus, I was given a key to the kingdom of heaven, which means when I leave this earth, I will spend eternity. I have a locked heaven. Notice it doesn't say key, it says keys, plural, set of. Which means your friend at university's key is on your set. It means your mom who doesn't know the Lord is on the set. It means your brother who is away from God right now is on the set of keys. And the challenge is this, we got so comfortable with Christianity and comfy church, we just put them in the cupboard or put them in our pocket, put them in the desk. And we forgot that there's people in our world who are going to a lost eternity because everybody spends eternity somewhere. And as I read the Gospels, I saw Jesus was obsessed with people. Rich people, poor people, young people, lost people, religious people, messed up people, screwed up people. Jesus was obsessed with people. And I started to believe this, that everyone... I knew would actually be better if they knew my heavenly father. So every day is God ignite my passion for people. What is my purpose on this earth? My purpose on this earth is to take as many people with me to heaven. 
They pitch this question to Jesus in Matthew 22. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? He was talking about Moses' Ten Commandments. He said, and Jesus replied, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, for this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus was saying in this moment that everything in life, it hangs on these two pivotal instructions, loving God and loving others. The first commandment, which is our most important commandment, is this, to love the Lord your God. It's the vertical relationship. Everything in life hangs on that relationship. You cannot reach lost people if you're lost. And every day, Jesus invites us to come into his presence, to fill up, get closer to him. It's our vertical relationship. You came to church tonight. You leaned into his presence. It's the vertical relationship. The problem is we stopped at vertical. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus hung on a Roman cross? It was interesting the way that the Father allowed him to die because the the Roman cross is vertical, yet it's horizontal. So it is Jesus being obedient to the Father, but at the same time, it is love your neighbor. That everything was summed up in the cross. It was our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others. As he stretched out his hands to humanity. There's that, old, there's that little song that we sing to our kids called I'm a Little Teapot. Do you sing that here? We do it in worship back home and people love it. It's taken off. Bethel have been ringing up. Can we use it? And I'm like, if you need to use it. I'm a little teapot, short and spout. Here's my handle, here's my... When I hear the teacups, hear me shout. Tip me up and pour me out. Relax, it's not tea, it's water. And I checked with your pastor before we did it. But here's the deal. So many of us are like this, this teapot. We come to church and we fill up. And we're filling up tonight. It's our vertical relationship. And let me tell you, you're in the right place. And some of you, God's got some more filling to do before we leave this place. How many of us go out to uni, to college, to school tomorrow and pour out what we've just been given? So many, we keep it to ourselves. We pour out love. We pour out generosity. We pour out the gospel. When was the last time you led someone to Jesus? Now that's not a, I mean, that's not a finger-pointing moment. That's a challenge. Oh, but I'm really happy around them. Being happy around them won't, won't take them to heaven. We've got to have some courage and some boldness. And one of the reasons that society finds itself in such a mess is that churches got so good at coming, but they forgot to go. We got good at vertical and lost sight of horizontal. We spent all of our time getting spiritually overweight. And we forgot the next part, which was love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? I think Jesus is saying it's anyone in your sphere of influence. Do you know the average person in America has 200 people in their sphere of influence? 200 people that you regularly come in contact with. 
uni, college, your hairdresser, the guy at the gas station, 200 people. I want to say this, never confuse ministry with mission. Students in the house, Bible scholars, do not confuse ministry with mission. They are separate. Your mission is to reach people, unchurched people. Love is a verb. Love demands action. I cannot silently, quietly love my wife. There has to be outworking of that. And the single greatest gift you can ever use your life for is to introduce someone to Jesus. When I was 20 years old, I asked myself, what was the something I was on planet Earth for? What was my purpose? What was my passion going to be? And it was simply this. It was people who were going to a lost eternity. I am more passionate about that than anything in this world. I want to spend eternity with as many people as possible. One day we all leave this earth. You can drink aloe vera, you can take your vitamins, you can do all that stuff, and please do it. But here's the reality, no one escapes it. You're in your dash. The question is, what are we doing with our dash? Our primary purpose on this earth is not a career, it's people. It's people. This is messy church. It's people. We've had two suicides in our church in the last month. One 27-year-old lady. One 45-year-old lady, she made our wedding stuff. A daughter, 13-year-old daughter, finds her hanging in the garage. It's people, it's messy. We're here, we are the solution. One conversation after church, one coffee, one hug can change someone's destiny. Don't get so caught up about where you're going to have supper. Don't get so caught up about the material things of this world that you forget your purpose in life is to reach people, to love people, find someone, love someone, and reach someone with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my purpose on earth. For this reason, I was born. You're not at uni to get a degree. You're at uni to reach people. You didn't go to uni primarily. God didn't put you in your university to get a degree. He couldn't give two hoots. He can get you to your destiny without a degree. He placed you on your campus to start a revolution. He placed you in your school to start a revolution because He wants you to start a fire. He wants you to be a catalyst for change in our dark world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be shaken and hidden. Pointing people to Christ is the best use of a human life. Can you tell I'm passionate about this? I want you to write down someone right now. In your sphere of influence. One person. Who is the one person this year you're going to lead to Jesus? Just set yourself a goal this year. One person. Just one. If Jesus could only handle 12, you can't handle more than one. One person. You're going to lead to Jesus. Do you know this church? I want you to create such a headache for your pastors. I want them to be calling me and saying, we've got big problems. We've got an explosion of growth. Because if everybody took one person, the responsibility for one in this room, let me tell you, your pastor would have a big headache because he'd have to build a new building. They're good problems. Who knows there's good problems and bad problems in life? 
That's a good problem. Has everyone got their one? Has everyone got their one? Go, just lift your hand. Your hand represents the one. I'm going to pray right now. Father, every hand represents a mom, a dad, a son, a daughter, a colleague, someone who doesn't know you. And Father, we are so sorry for when we made this thing about us. And Father, we get perspective again tonight. And Father, I pray that you would give us courage, strategy, wisdom in reaching the one this year. Father, we will go after the lost at all cost. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for what he's going to do. A passion for purpose. A passion for people. You're going to like the next one. A passion for purity. A passion for purity. David said this in Psalm 119. He's struggling with this area of his life and he cries out to God. He says, how can a young man or a young woman stay pure? Who thinks that's a pretty good question? Now remember, that was 4,000 years ago when they didn't have internet, social media, and so much of the other temptation that we have in our world. And he was struggling back then. I reckon David would be in big trouble <laughs> right now. I mean, I, I don't think he could have handled I'd just been put out there. He's got hormones, he's battling purity, I mean, he's in trouble. He's in trouble back then. What would he be like now? And he says to God, he says, how can I stay pure? I think that's a brilliant question. And like all good politicians, he answers his own question. (laughs) He does, he just asks a question, he doesn't give God time to breathe. He says, God, how can I stay pure? And he goes, he says this, by living in accordance to your word. Your word I have hidden in my heart so I may not sin against you. I believe if we're going to go the distance, if we're going to meet back here in 20 years and have the great reunion, if pastor invites me back, we're going to have to keep a passion for purity. Because let me tell you, the enemy is out there and he is after purity. He is distorting the very thing that God created in sex. Everywhere we go, it's in front of us. We need God to help us in this area, to give us a passion for purity. Do you know you can actually pray every day, God, keep me pure. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit. Father, that thing flashed up on the internet, or this, this, this is taking my mind away, or this is dest- it's a destructive habit in my life. So God, right now, I need a passion for purity. You can be honest with God about your struggles. David was honest. He was struggling. He was a man with hormones. And he said, God, how can I stay pure? You know, God wants to help you in your fight for purity. And it doesn't matter whether you're 16. It doesn't matter whether you're 50 and you're married. It's still a battle. It is a daily battle. Ask God. I want to say this. If you're in a relationship and you're not married and your boyfriend or girlfriend is constantly putting pressure on you to go further, you're probably with the wrong one. You're probably with the wrong one. Girls, if all your boyfriend wants is your breasts, your thighs and your legs... Send them to KFC. 
24-7, he can eat his heart out. Even the real serious people like that one, like, well, that was quite good. <laughs> Maybe you've struggled in this area for purity. Maybe you feel like you've messed up. Tonight's not the night to feel condemned. Tonight's the night to understand the grace of God. God's grace is far greater than your greatest failure. You cannot fall out of grace, you fall into it. So however far you've fallen in this era of purity, however young or old you are, I want you to know tonight, if you are a follower of Jesus, your past, your present, and your future sins have all been covered in the blood of Jesus. Tonight, God is in heaven. He is looking down for you and he sees you not as you are. He sees you through the lens and the filter of the cross. He sees us pure. And for you to live right, you've got to believe right. Right living starts with right believing. And so you've got to confess every day, even though I fail, God, I am clean. I messed up last night, but God, I am forgiven. It's not until you start confessing it, you'll start living it. I'm preaching good. I encourage you. And if you're single out there and this is a battle for you, I want to encourage you, don't settle. Girls, don't settle. Keep your bar nice and high. The Bible says in Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Don't settle for second best. And all you girls who are still waiting, let me remind you, Girls are like apples on trees. The best ones are at the top of the tree. Most men don't want to reach for the good ones because they're afraid of falling, getting hurt. Instead, they get the rotten apples from the ground that isn't as good, but easy. So the apples at the top think there's something wrong with them, when in reality, they're amazing. They just have to wait for the right man to come along, the one who's brave enough to climb all the way to the top of the tree. Don't settle, don't settle, don't trade what you want most for what's in front of you now. Make a decision, I'm not settling, I'm just going to throw this thing away, I'm going I'm to trust God. Don't mess with this stuff. Oh, I'll just have a little this and a little that and it won't affect me, let, it, let me tell you, it will. Most of our hurts and pains in life come because of this error and our life went wrong. I'm going to tell you a true story. It's a moving story, but it's a true story. Ed Silvoso told this story many years ago about a young youth pastor. And he started dating a girl in his youth ministry. And one night he's driving home and she says to him, she says, hey, why don't you come inside? There's a dilemma that begins in his mind. He's a youth pastor. He He knows the boundaries, but who knows your feelings often override your convictions. He's got this moral thing going. And she begs him. She says, please, just come in just for a few minutes. And he gives in. He goes inside the house. It's a true story. As he goes in, she, standing in the living room, she pulls open her top. I've got everyone's attention right now. <laughs> he pulls open her, she pulls open her top. And he says, what are you doing? 
And at the same moment, her mum walks in. She doesn't seem to bat an eyelid. He says, what? what's going on? He says, it's okay, my mum's blind. And he walks over to her mum. He gets his two fingers and he places them in her eyes. And he says, by the power of the name of Jesus, be healed. Instantly, on the spot, her mum was made whole. She opened her eyes. I'm not sure what the first sight she ever saw was. <laughs> then he walks over to the girl. And he says, why do I want this when I can have that? Why do I want to mess with sin, with pornography? Why do I want to mess with the things of this world when I can have the power of God at work in my life? Let me tell you, you don't need to have this when you can have that. But you can't have both. I want to see signs and wonders. I want to see eyes open. Let me tell you, you've got to have a passion for purity. Yes, God will keep forgiving you because His grace and His mercy are new every morning, but your life won't move forward. Your life won't move forward. So every day it's God. I want a passion for purpose. I want a passion for people. I want a passion for purity. Number four is I want a passion for the presence of God. Passion for the presence of God. Like many of you, I love going. I'm a big Premier League fan. Does anyone like Premier League? Three of us, brilliant. I'm a big Premier League fan, and I've been to Anfield to watch Liverpool. I've been to Old Trafford to watch Manchester United. And I've been in the presence of some great players. I love being in the presence of, you know, great people. I had dinner with Jerry Jones on Wednesday evening from the Cowboys. Not really, he was in the same restaurant. I did say hi. I said, how are you, Jerry? He said, I'm good, my friend. I said, well, we're friends now. You want to see my new church? We could talk. And... But hey, like you, I've been in the presence. I've been to a Justin Bieber conference. Concert, not a conference. God help me if I went to a Justin Bieber conference. I was the last one in and the first one out. It was me and my wife and 75,000 15-year-old girls. Never again. I've heard Coldplay. I'm name dropping, but I'm doing it for a purpose. Because I can honestly say, there is nothing like being in the presence of God. What we experienced in those few moments tonight far outweighs anything. And I'm not being disrespectful to sports stars, sports owners, musicians. I'm just saying there's nothing like the presence of God. And God wants to ignite a fresh passion and hunger for his presence. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. I could go on, but here's the deal. Where's your secret place? Do you have a secret place? I'm not talking about where you hang out on Instagram and scroll you check your Twitter feed. I'm not talking about that secret place. I'm talking about where you and God just hang out with no electronics. Maybe you go for a walk with the dog. Maybe you drive. Maybe you go to, you, I was going to say go to the beach, but there's not many around here. 
but somewhere where you and God get to talk. A secret place. My wife and I, we have secret places. Do you and God have a secret place? You know the thing about a secret place is? It's a secret. It's a secret. It's not like Instagram, I'm reading my Bible. Check out all my colorful stuff in my Bible, everyone. I'm really spiritual. That ain't a secret. Secret when you don't even want to go near your phone. You just want to get intimate with God. You're so passionate and you find yourself on your knees. You find yourself in a place that you cannot explain to anyone else. It's greater than any force. It's greater than anything you experience in a sports stadium, in an arena, in a concert hall. It's where you and God hang out. There is nothing like the presence of God. Tonight, God wants to give you a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been doing church for a long time and you're still in love, but it's not enough. You've got to daily ignite your passion for His presence. Who loves science fiction movies? Supernatural movies. You know, when I was, I was born in 2004, and <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm a child of the 70s. Dustin, 60s, but. I was born in 1978. In 1978, 10% of the movies made were sci-fi. 2020, it's now over 60%. That's how much it's shifted, 50%. Our generation, Gen Z, millennials, has more of a hunger for the supernatural than ever before. And our challenge is if this generation doesn't fulfill their craving with the supernatural, with the spiritual, they will look to other things like the occult. They will look to Ouija boards. They will look to Scientology. They will look to their horoscopes. People, you can fulfill your craving for the supernatural right here in God's house, right here in His presence. You can walk up to someone and lay your hands on them and in the power of the name of Jesus, You can say, sickness, be gone. By His stripes, you are healed. The Holy Spirit is far more exciting than a video game, than a movie. Texas, California, it needs a touch of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to finish with this story and then we're going to to pray and I'm, I'm ready for God to do some stuff here. When I was 23, 24, my grandma gave me a car. It was a Saab. Do you have Saabs here? Swedish car. A meatball car. And this was no ordinary car. It had a button on it called S. S. I was just 23, 24. I'd never seen a button on a car with S. So I thought I'd take the car out late one night, see what happened. Maybe I'd get raptured. Maybe it was, I don't know what it was. It was supernatural button. So I thought, go out on my own. I went out on the highway and I pressed the button. That S button was called a supercharge button. Gave you an extra couple of thousand revs per minute. It was there because if you got stuck behind a slow moving vehicle, you could quickly zoom out. As I pressed that button, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, just as much as your Saab has an S button, you have an S button in your life every day. And when you're in the 
you're in the exam hall and you don't know what to write. And when you're in the courtroom and when you're in the interview and when you're in the sickbed and when you're in moments and you say, God, I'm on my own, you can press the supercharge button, the power of the Holy Spirit and the natural turns into the supernatural. The ordinary turns into the extraordinary and suddenly God invades the situation and you don't have to be in the car. You can be anywhere to press the button and somebody tonight is going to press the button of the Holy Spirit and there's going to be an outpouring an overtaking of His presence in your life. Thanks for listening to the Church 1132 broadcast. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com.